Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Darmo here with Epiphany Communications and Coaching. Do you ever think about the tiny blunders that became big disasters? Well, we're talking about just that with the author of the book, Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, 39 Tiny Mistakes That Changed the World Forever with author Jared Knott. Jared, how are you? Just fine. It's fine. It's an honor to be here. A pleasure talking with you. I thought this book was really cool. Scott Lorenz mentioned this to me in an interview that I had with him not too long ago here on Itch Community. He's a book publicist and a longtime uh, PR guy. We've known each other for a long time. And he mentioned this book and I thought, hey, I got to interview the author. That sounds really cool. So tell us what prompted you to write this book and, and such a unique take on historical events. Yes, well, the inspiration for the book actually comes from this adage that it comes down through Benjamin Franklin. Uh, that for one of the nail, the shoe was lost. For one of the shoe, the writer was lost. For one of the writer, the battle was lost. For one of the battle, the empire was lost. The empire was lost all for the want of a nail. Well, that's a, that's a nice old saying, but I wonder how often that really happens that a single tiny mistake causes an entire empire to collapse. And first I started with one idea. That's a good idea. Another idea. I got another example, another example. Gee, I have enough for a magazine article. And then they kept getting more and more. We start looking for something. We find it more and more. And at first, we had like 30, 40. We have actually about, I say, 39 in the subtitle. Really, it's more like about 42 or 43 stories in the book. And we have another five or six that we may add for a sequel. And so it's amazing how often a tiny mistake in history has caused an entire empire to collapse or a huge catastrophe to take place. Uh, yeah. So tell us, um, you know, I never even thought about that, you know, until Scott mentioned this book and then I thought, wow, this is really fascinating. What are, what are two tiny blunders that you can mention to our listeners or any of them that really stood out for you that you want to enter a, a mention to our listeners here today and it's your community that caused big disasters or the biggest disasters? Yes. Well, in fact, the very first example I thought of, it's been over 11 years ago. Uh, here's the teaser for it. Uh, a single piece of tape rotated several inches the wrong direction, changed the outcome of the Vietnam War. The United States might very well have won, except for this single tiny mistake, which doesn't make any sense, does it? No. <laughs> what are we talking about? What are we, well, yeah. well, it has to do with the Watergate break-in when uh, James McCord and the Cuban operatives uh, were... Uh, breaking into the Watergate complex, they jimmied the lock from the parking garage into the building, and they were told to hold the striker on the door <clears throat> down with a single piece of tape in the vertical position so it could not be seen from the hallway. Well, they made a mistake, and they put it in a horizontal position across the door face on both sides. So when then uh, Frank, uh, Frank Wills, the night watchman, comes walking down the hallway, he sees the tape on the door. What's this tape on the door? Oh, oh, oh the door's been jimmy. Oh, we've had people break in the building. So he calls the Washington, D.C. police. And he had to call them twice. But finally, the second time he gets through, and uh, they uh, uh, got to send the police out there to investigate. But here's a, uh, there's a strong rumor that the uniform officer on duty in that area that night was in a local bar intoxicated 
and could not answer the call. So they had to send instead the bum patrol, three officers dressed as hobos and a jalopy, guitar, jalopy car. So they pull up to the Watergate complex. The lookout does not recognize them as police officers. So he doesn't send the warning to the police on the inside. They get on the inside, they arrest James McCord and the uh, Cuban operatives and the Watergate scandal begins. Boom, 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 one event after another, another, another. Henry Kissinger gave an interview. He said that the plan was North Vietnamese had, uh, they knew they were gonna violate the treaty. The plan was to go in there and to bomb the living daylights out of them again to get them back in compliance with the treaty. But they were so weak politically, they couldn't. So South Vietnam collapses, Nixon administration collapses, it all falls apart because of a single piece of tape rotated several inches the wrong direction and a drunk cop. Wow. Wow. I from a single piece of, I would never know. When you discover this, Jared, we were like, oh my gosh. I was saying, I mean, you know what? Yeah, I was saying, you know what? Look, just think what happened with that one little tiny mistake. And yeah. boom, 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 boom. Yes, the whole great big domino like castle fell to pieces. Wow. And it went down in one of the you know biggest stories in our history, American right, history. One right? of the scandals, that's right. One of the biggest and scandals in American history. That's yeah. Exactly. One of the biggest scandals from America from a tiny little mistake. Although, you know, you kind of wonder it was like meant to be for that mistake to be, have made so people could see the truth. Uh, you know, I am a big history buff. I love history. I love biography. I love, you know, real life stories, true stories, true crime. You know, have you always been interested in studying history? Yes, going back even when I was like a teenager, and even 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I always found history uh, very interesting. I don't know exactly why uh, versus why didn't I find, uh, I don't know, whatever else, uh, uh, English literature that interesting. But I mean, I like English literature just fine. I always found it fascinating. And the thing I do differently, and we make this kind of point in the introduction, is that when you talk in high school, you know, when history was presented to you, they were talking about the changing of governments. They were talking about dates. They were talking about um, maybe big battles, that sort of thing. But uh, I take a little bit different approach. I kind of turn history sideways and look at it from a different angle. And also, I put a more of an emphasis on the personalities. Uh, that's kind of an, an interesting thing, too, the motivation that people have, how this particular individual would act, react differently than other individuals. And that gives it a lot more juice because people care a lot about other people more than they do just dates and events in terms of changing governments and so on like that. Yeah, we're talking with Jared Knott here today, the author of the book, Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, 39 uh, Tiny Mistakes That Changed the World Forever. It's such a great gift to give somebody, especially a history buff. Um, Father's Day is coming around. I think it'd be a great Father's yes. Day gift. Um, yes. You know, you, you, you gave a perfect example of one of the biggest blunders in American history that was a tiny little mistake, a tiny blunder that became a big disaster with Watergate and a piece of tape. But, you know, um, you know, in addition to the powerful individuals that you have in this book, there are some small players, can you, you know, that also affected history. Can you give us an example of one of those? Yes, the, the teaser for that one is that a soldier accidentally kicks a helmet off the top of the wall, and this causes an entire empire to collapse, okay? And which, how in the world is that possible, right? Well, it's kind of interesting. It was uh, between, uh, uh, starts out between Cyrus the Great, who's mentioned in the Bible. He was the leader of Babylon who gave the uh, Israelis their uh, freedom 
uh, and then also he was the emperor of Persia, and he was uh, facing uh, the emperor of Lydia, a man named uh, Croesus from the expression Riches Croesus, and the two empires were moving towards a big uh, battle, a big uh, clash. But Croesus wanted to know if he's going to win the battle or not, uh, so he sends representatives off to the Oracle of Delphi. And he probably was uh, there, I haven't brought over there, they splashed a lot of gold around, being very generous to people, giving away gifts, giving away silver and gold and so on. And that's where he got his reputation for being wealthy. And so they're now they're asking the question, I think that's going to uh, give them a favorable prediction from the Oracle. So Oracle of Delphi speaks, and she says, a great battle will be fought, and an empire will be lost. And he uh, took that to mean that the other empire was gonna be lost and not his, but it didn't quite work out that way. So anyway, the battle is joined between the Persian Empire and the Lydian Empire. Uh, it, they fight, uh, the, per the Spartans, by the way, are fighting on the side of uh, Croesus. Maybe he paid them a lot of money too, but they fight to a draw, okay? And so then uh, Cyrus the Great takes his men and puts them back in the ships and they sail away. All right, then, uh, and the Spartans go home, well, I guess they won, but they did not call him Spartan, uh, Cyrus the Great for nothing. He brings his troops back just a short time later, about a week later, and again, joins the battle. Now the Spartans are gone. They fight a battle. And then uh, uh, Croesus takes his troops and withdraws back into his fortress, uh, Sardos, a high impregnable fortress up on top of this mountain. Well, okay, winter's coming. Uh, Cyrus the Great doesn't have enough food to feed his troops during the winter. He may have gotten himself into a real box. What's going to happen? And then here comes the tiny mistake. The soldier up on top of the hill on Sardos, this huge fortress, accidentally knocks a helmet off the top of the wall like it was tumbling all the way down to the bottom. And the soldier gets off the uh, fortress wall and climbs down a secret pathway down the side of the wall, down to the bottom of the, the mountain there, gets his helmet and walks all the way back up. But one of uh, Cyrus the Great's men sees him, look, 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 there's a pathway up the side of the wall. And that side of the wall, because it was so steep, was not very heavily defended. I thought no one will try to uh, breach the wall there. But the next night, they had a raiding party, climbs up the side of the wall, goes over the top of the wall, goes over to the gates, forces the gates open. Cyrus the Great's men are waiting there, come flooding into the city, and they win the, uh, the giant battle uh, uh, between the two nations. And wow. uh, if it had not been for that tiny, they know that tiny mistake, instead of being called Cyrus the Great, he might have been called Cyrus the Chump. <laughs> so Jared, Jared, when you were doing your research, and it kind of like you stumbled upon this book, really, because you didn't realize there was so much there in the beginning. Where were you looking for this stuff? It's not stuff we readily read everywhere. Yes, uh, I tell people that my mind is a, a trash bin of trivia. And I, <laughs> uh, I might, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I can remember things I read uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, uh -huh. That particular story is something I read a long time ago. And I may forget where I put my glasses, but I do have a real good long-term memory. And so a lot of things were just thinking, I remember, you know, oh, wait a minute, that's a good example. That's a good example from uh, some years ago. And then also you go on the internet and into the library and start researching things and start looking for things and start looking for examples. They just start to accumulate sort of like uh, flies on flypaper. Wow, I love it. I love that, Jared. So Jared, personality and family upbringing are factors in how people make decisions and policies. So can you give us some examples of how this is working in your book when it comes to personalities and upbringing? 
Yes, a good example of that is the uh, story about the, uh, the Kennedys, America's uh, unofficial royal family. And uh, of course, uh, uh, Joseph Kennedy Sr., very talented man, very self-confident man, hugely successful on Wall Street, something of a pirate, something of a scoundrel, uh, known, embarrassing to say, known for uh, raping, physically raping a number of women, including Gloria Swanson. Uh, and, but he was uh, a man without much ethics, but a man uh, very ambitious and very successful. And he uh, had his, uh, of course, his nine children. And there was a great, huge amount of competitiveness between especially the two oldest sons, which was Joe Jr. and uh, uh, the younger brother, uh, Jack. Uh, and uh, Joe uh, Jr., a uh, very talented gentleman himself. He was on the, I think he was captain of the Harvard football team. Uh, he was a graduated with honors from Harvard. And he always had the advantage over his younger brother, Jack. He was always picking on him. They asked uh, Jack uh, if he was, had a heck of childhood. Someone asked him that at one point. He said he hesitated and he said yes. But his older brother sometimes made him miserable because he was being bullied pretty severely. Anyway, so uh, let's uh, jump over for that story to a very interesting woman. Her name was Inga Arben, and she was uh, Miss uh, Denmark back in 1936, and she was runner-up for Miss Europe in 1936. And she was a, a journalist, a Scandinavian journalist, and she was allowed to interview Hitler. And she said that he seems lonely when she interviewed him. His eyes sparkle with force, uh, and you immediately like him. And he described her as being the perfect example of Nordic beauty. And he, she has mm. accompanied Adolf Hitler to the, to the 1936 Olympics. Uh, she was a very well-connected woman, obviously. She may have been involved not with Hitler romantically, but with some of the German high command. She may have been involved with an affair or two with, with them. But anyway, she ends up, uh, it's not quite clear why she ends up leaving Europe and coming to New York as a journalist back in the, uh, about 1937, 38, right there. And she meets a young naval officer uh, who's stationed in Washington, D.C. by the name of Jack Kennedy, where they had an affair. And here it is, you have a naval officer uh, in intelligence uh, serving uh, there in Washington with a woman who's suspected of being a German spy who had gone with Adolf Hitler to the uh, Olympic Games 1936. Is she a spy? What's going on here? And there was some concern that, in fact, she was. And to get young Jack out of harm's way, they managed to send him off to the South Pacific, where he would be a, was a PT boat uh, commander. So there in the South Pacific, uh, he was um, not considered, uh, some people say, not the greatest commander of a PT boat. He was, but on his first night out in combat, of course, he's very green. He and his crew are very green. They were out there on the Pacific. And uh, I'm trying to make the long story short, uh, yeah, Japanese cruiser at night is bearing down in their position. And uh, the other PT boats send a radio message uh, to uh, the PT-109 that a cruiser is heading the direction to look out, but there was no time mistake. There was no uh, person down in the chart room where the radio was located to get the message that the Japanese are about to run over, run them. And so just a few seconds before the uh, ship hits them, uh, ship at 10 o'clock, uh, the, the Navy uh, the Japanese cruiser cuts him in half. Um, wow. Well, now the uh, 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 General Douglas MacArthur uh, later said that uh, John Kennedy should have been court-martialed for having lost his boat, and then, but then he later said it or denied ever having said it, although he probably did say it. But anyway, after spending a week out there in the islands in the Pacific, they managed to be rescued. 
and they come in and some people would say it was kind of an embarrassing situation, but because he was a son of the uh, United States ambassador, his father, Joseph Kennedy, was uh, ambassador of the court of St. James, uh, who had a huge amount of influence, very wealthy man. Uh, Reader's Digest uh, runs a, a story on the whole situation, making Jack look like a hero. The local Boston papers run headlines, uh, ambassador's son, hero in the South Pacific, and he wins the Navy medal. Now, you and I, in that same situation, we might have been court-martialed. <laughs> when your father's the ambassador, you know, maybe then you get the medal. Well, anyway, uh, his uh, son, the other son, uh, Joe Jr., shows a very strange, jealous response. And uh, Rose Kennedy wrote in her autobiography that it was the first time that young Jack had the advantage over his older brother, and it must have rankled him. But okay, there was a big party, uh, Joe's uh, senior's birthday party there at Hansport. Many friends uh, invited to the big gala in the middle of the party. One of the friends of the family stands up and says, I would like to make a toast to the hero of the Kennedy family, young Jack Kennedy in the South Pacific. Okay, well, young Joe Jr. is over there uh, listening to all this. Later that night, somebody who spent the night in that lived in the same, sleep in the same room said he was crying, opening and closing his fist. I'll show them. I'll show them. So anyway, he... Uh, goes over, is assigned uh, John, Joe Jr. to as a pilot in, uh, in Britain. He's a submarine chaser, uh, uh, Navy pilot, but he's not coming across any action. And he says, I guess I'm only going to get a Navy service medal, a, a good conduct medal like everybody gets. I guess I'm not going to be able to have a chance of winning any awards, uh, of course, like his, uh, his younger brother. Then there was the suicide mission that came into play. And I'll try just a short version of the idea was to load a big uh, plane up with a huge amount of explosives. Two pilots would be on the plane to get it off the, uh, off the ground into the air. And then at some point they would parachute out and the plane by television would be guided into a target uh, in south of, south of France. There was the V-1 and V-2 rockets being, uh, bringing devastation to London. This V-3 was a great big, it was a, uh, a cannon uh, propulsion cannon is going to be firing rockets into London about one every three minutes, and the idea was to destroy it before that could take place. But something goes wrong. Uh, there was a mistake, an uh, electronic spark of some kind, maybe from an electronic harness that was uh, uh, malfunctioned, and the plane blows up in the air. The two pilots are vaporized. So young uh, Joe, uh, Joe Jr., perhaps the most uh, uh, gifted uh, and a person with the brightest future, maybe in the United States, uh, Harvard graduate, uh, graduated with honors, captain of the football team, very nice looking, very striking, so handsome young man, he vaporized uh, completely. Uh, and, uh, and so when uh, it came time to have one of the Kennedys run for Congress, instead of Joe Jr. running, uh, they chose second choice, uh, Jack, who became congressman and then senator, and of course got the nomination for president and won presidency in 1960, but not for those mm -hmm. series of events, starting with Inga Arvid uh, and a woman in the chart room. Uh, and also uh, Joe Jr. had been warned by an electronics officer that the electronic harness in the plane might be defective. That may have been the cause of the spark. No one knows. All of it came to a, a tragic end. Young, very greatly potential, great potential young life lost to no purpose. So it's a sad story in the end, uh, but involved wow. a conflict of personalities and, uh, and a very uh, dynamic family. Wow, we're talking about Jared Nott, book filled with wonderful stories about history that you probably never even thought about because they're tiny blunders 
that turned into big disasters, 39 tiny mistakes that changed the world forever. And, you know, um, what do you think that the average reader can glean in terms of life lessons from your book about their own lives? Yes, well, one of the most, in my, from my standpoint, interesting sections in the book uh, uh, is based on a book called uh, The Checklist Manifesto by a doctor here in the United States, uh, Atoll Gawande. And he was uh, a surgeon, and he was wondering, gee, we're getting an awful lot of people who die in surgery, don't recover from the surgery. Uh, and the way it works right now is that you go in, you get six or seven or eight years experience underneath your belt, and you go into the operating room and just kind of go by gut instinct as to what is supposed to happen. But he said, we're humans. We make mistakes, mistakes, and we miss things. I wonder what we could do to make a, a greater efficiency in the operating room. I wonder how the people over in the airline industry are handling the same situation. They have uh, people who have to make split-second split decisions with great complexity. I wonder how they do it. So I went over and interviewed the people at Boeing, and it went back to a famous airline crash way back in 1935, and it was the forerunner <clears throat> of the B-17. Time is calling the b uh, uh, 299. But two of the best pilots of Boeing, uh, they made a mistake and uh, they did not turn off the elevator yoke. And the plane, after just a minute or two in the air, it, uh, it stalled and pancaked down, uh, crashed on the ground, and both pilots were killed. They did the investigation, a simple thing. They had simply not flipped the switch to turn off the elevator yoke. Well, they were saying, well, Boeing, what can, they were saying, what can we do to prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future? And they came up with a system of checklists and went back to an ancient tool, the humble checklist. So they put together a checklist of like 35, 36, 37 items, sometimes 43, whatever. Okay, the two pilots would go through it. Pilot, co-pilot, item number one, turn such and such a dial in a certain position, check, check. Item number two, flip off the elevator yoke, check, check, and so on down the line. And that made sure human beings can only think about one thing at a time. This makes sure that you think about all those 37 items that nothing's forgotten, nothing's overlooked. Well, that became a system in the airline industry, a standard going into World War II and saved the lives and saved from mistakes of hundreds and hundreds of pilots and co-pilots. Well, they uh, then Atoll Gawani took this same system back to the operating room uh, and put it in place. One thing they discovered is they were implementing it when all the people inside the operating room all knew each other, they introduced each other and knew each other by name, that improved communication and that also was good for a better outcome. But anyway, they put the checklist system into operation in the operating room and they got excellent, excellent results. Fatalities dropped by 36%, an amazing 36%. Now it's standard in the industry uh, throughout the world. But that was a, an interesting thing that can apply if you're putting together a garden, you're putting you're going to build a bird's nest, a bird's house, you have a checklist of things that you have to remember to do, check them off as you go down. And sometimes it's good to prioritize some over the other. You know, and Jared, these are great. These are being well-organized checklist system. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing to teach children too, uh, as they go, you know, grow up and, you know, they're in school and in the workplace, this just checklist to make sure that everything you need to do in a project is done. I mean, it's like project management. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
What do you think is the biggest takeaway uh, from the book for readers? What are you What are you hoping the biggest takeaway would be? Yes, I, I talk about the early part of the book about the importance, like the Boy Scouts, the importance of be prepared, a preparation. Make sure you don't you stumble into something and then start thinking about it. Think about it well in advance. Get well prepared, well organized. Have a checklist. Going with a good solid foundation that will avoid many many problems by itself. It's simple and basic, but very important to be well organized and be prepared because the tiny mistakes are just out there waiting to happen. Yes, exactly. Jared, not the author of the book. We're talking tiny blunders, big disasters, 39 mistakes that change the world forever. It's a great Father's Day gift, a great gift to give to somebody. Um, I think it's a, it would prompt fun conversations, Jared. Um, where can people find the book? Yes, go to uh, tinyblundersbigdisasters.com, tinyblundersbigdisasters.com. We have a great website there. It has a, a book trailer there. It has two and a half free chapters. We have a special this week uh, for Father's Day, $1.99 for the electronic download. And also my favorite part of the book is the portrait gallery. We have 27 personalities there with a little bit of dirt on each one. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding about the dirt, but I, I do say, <laughs> I say good things. I say good things and bad things. And it's kind of interesting, again, emphasis on the personalities to look in what's behind a lot of the big names yeah well before we let you go we have a couple of minutes left with you here jared not author of this book tiny blunders big disasters what do you want to leave with our listeners with before we let you go yeah i'll tell you a real quick story uh, this one has to do with a, a 2000 election that teaser is a single a single document designed by one single clerk in one single county changed the outcome of presidential election and led directly to a major war the war would not have taken place except for the single tiny mistake. And uh, this nice lady down there, supervisor of elections, she wanted to design a ballot with large print so that people, the older people there could read it easily. She designed a two-page ballot. It's called a butterfly ballot. Had a list of names on the left side and the right side with a series of punch holes down the center. But it was poorly organized and it was easy to get confused. Al Gore's name was the number two name on the left side of the page, but he was the number three punch hole, the number two punch hole belong to Pat Buchanan on the right page. Well, a lot of people got confused and punched the wrong punch hole. And the surrounding counties, Pat Buchanan got maybe 150 votes per county. This one county gets like 3,400. He himself said the voters were getting confused. Well, they voted, uh, Al Gore lost the state by uh, 546 votes. He easily would have won it by three, four, 5,000 votes. He would have become president of the United States uh, with, uh, with Florida uh, as electoral votes. He was adamantly, adamantly opposed to the war in Iraq. The war would not have taken place. It led, and it, the nice lady was being interviewed on morning television. And they were saying to him, people are saying, Madam, that you were responsible for this war. And she was in tears, yes, and crying and so on and so forth. But appreciate the fact, Madam, you're a nice person, intelligent person, appreciate the fact that you're crying, but we have 50,000 dead people and $2 trillion down the drain because of a single tiny mistake. Wow. Wow. Well, Jared, thank you so much for joining us. What powerful stories, great life lessons, and just entertainment, really, honestly. It's just kind of one of those stories, historical stories that you can have fun conversations around. Jared, Dot, thank you so much for joining us here in It's Your Community. I appreciate it very much. I enjoyed it. Great. Thank Give you. out your website one more time, Jared. Yes. Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, 
tinyblendersbigdisasters.com. That's the name of the book. Thanks for joining us. Any questions or comments or topics you want me to get to? Vanessa Denhagarmo, you go to Epiphany Communications and Coaching. You could private message me there at the info line. You could also find me on all social media platforms. Follow me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and Epiphany Communications and Coaching on Facebook. As always, we remind you to connect, communicate, and to collaborate with your community. Thanks for catching me. We'll catch you next time here on It's Your Community. It's Your Community, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR.